right, all right, all right, all right. How many are happy to be in the house of the Lord? Can you say amen? Good to see each and every one of you here. Those of you who are here live and those of you who are joining us on our online campus, good to see each and every one of you. Uh, so thankful to have you here today. I just want to reiterate this, uh, this, this uh, new series that I'm launching on September 11th that I'm so excited about. Uh, you will get the most out of this series if you are in a community group, but we need more community groups to form. And anyone can be a community group host. A community group host, you only need four things. H-O-S-T. You need a home. That's the H. A place to invite people into. You need an openness of heart, a willingness to invite people into your home. The S stands for snack. A little snack to share. And the T is just time. You've got to be willing to give that time, maybe an hour a week, to invite people into your home. We're going to give you the workbooks, everything that you need. You're not going to have to prepare to teach or to lecture or anything like that. You're not going to be asked to be shepherding the souls of the people in your group. Just open up your home and be willing to let folks come in to talk about Jesus. And this series is going to be about the power to produce wealth. Uh, nobody's interested in that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Some of y'all need that. Come on now, somebody. Amen. Uh, so that's exciting. Also, our membership course is launching on the same day, September 11th. So we're, we're excited about that. But if you're interested in being a community group host, stick around after service today from 1230 to 1. I promise to let you go by 1 p.m. today. Just 30 minutes, just information. This is not a commitment. If you show up today at 1230, it's not a commitment to start your own community group. It's just an information meeting because you will get the most out of this series if you're in a community group. All right, let's pray. Father, uh, as we shift to your word, I pray that you would shift our hearts, open our awareness of your presence, and uh, may our hearts be open to receive and our minds be prepared to understand the things that you would speak to us. Also, Father, get a hold of our will that we might be ready to respond. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple passages of scripture were in my heart this morning. Uh, one of them was uh, Genesis chapter 17, 1, where God is speaking to this guy, Abram, that we later know as Abraham. God speaks to him and says, I am God Almighty. You walk before me and be blameless. God says to Abram, the first thing he says to him, one of the first, first thing he gives is a promise in chapter 12. But he says, I'm requiring of you that you be blameless. Walk before me and be blameless. That word blameless stood out to me. And I want to talk to us this morning about what it means to be blameless. In Job chapter 1, verse 1, the scripture begins the whole book of Job with a verse that says, There was a man from the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless. That man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and shunned evil. whole story starts by saying this is a story about a guy who was blameless. Then we see this promise in Psalm 37, 37, and it says, Mark the blameless. Observe the upright, for the future of that man is peace. So there's this promise that says, if you're blameless, you can count on a peaceful future. 
Mark the blameless man and observe the upright, for the future of that man is peace. And by the way, the word peace, when you find it in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, it's not a psychological term that is the absence of angst or chaos, but shalom means wholeness, perfect wholeness in every area of your life. That's pretty cool, right? And so I started to meditate on this, and I'm thinking, God, I want to be blameless. I want it to be said of me that that man was blameless. When my life story gets told one day, I want it to be said that that man was blameless. And so I started to think of all the things that I need to work on in my life in order to become blameless. I said, Lord, would you inspire my heart that I might become blameless? I want to ask you this morning, how many want to get in on that? You say, I want to be blameless too. Well, the Lord has given me a very simple recipe for you today. And this is the word of the Lord to you today. That if you want to be blameless, you've got to blame less. If you want to be blameless, you've got to blame less. Because here's the problem with blamelessness is the idea of blamelessness for us means that you haven't done anything wrong. The idea of blamelessness to us is nobody can blame you for anything. Nothing is found in you. But if you look at the life of Job, yes, it's true that he was blameless and that he shunned evil and didn't commit any sin. But when you read the story of this dude, Job, what you find is that this dude went through hell and never blamed anybody for it. He didn't blame his wife, even though she was off the hook. <laughs> Had plenty of reason to. She was the one telling him, just curse God and die. He didn't blame God, even though in a sense he had good reason to. He could have been sitting there going, what have I done but obey you my whole life? I've kept your commandments. I've done everything that you said. And they told me that if I disobeyed you, it would be well with me and I'd be blessed. Now I'm in here in a pit scratching the boils on my body, mourning the loss of my children. He could have blamed God. Instead, he says, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. <laughs> could have blamed his kids because they were off the hook too. He had some disappointment there with his kids, but he didn't blame them for his current situation. Could have blamed his friends. They were all off the hook. I mean, when you read the book of Job, what you see is this man is surrounded by off the hook people. Everybody is off the hook around him. He's the only one who's not off the hook, but he's also the only one who's in trouble. But it said that man was blameless. He didn't blame anybody. There is nothing so unprofitable as blame. Nothing that will do more damage to your spiritual life, to your emotional life, to your psychological life, to your relationships than blame. Being blameless and refusing to blame does not mean that you don't have a legitimate reason to place blame. It simply means that in your heart and mind, you have decided, you have determined that even though I could assess blame, 
I realize that it's completely unprofitable for me to do so. So I'm not going to do it. Not because you don't deserve it, but because I don't want that eating away my heart. You see, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. You're only poisoning yourself. Blame is so core to our fallen human nature, isn't it? You see Adam and Eve in the garden, and you know what they did. They ate the fruit. God said, don't eat it. Eve had this conversation with the devil. He convinced her to eat it. She ate it. Then she brought it to Adam, had a conversation with him. He ate it. Then the Lord shows up, and they're surprised that they're in trouble. <laughs> right? And the Lord says, Adam, notice he talks to the man first when it comes to accountability, when it comes to getting in trouble. Men, you are the head of your household. That means it's always your fault. <laughs> I didn't get no amens there. That's okay. <laughs> but your wife secretly said amen. Notice God knew the order of what happened, but did not say, Eve, what did you do to Adam? Adam, what have you done? And what did Adam say? That woman you gave me, which means first he blamed the woman, and then he blamed the one who gave him the woman. And what you and I don't realize is that every time you blame your spouse, you're blaming the one who gave you your spouse. You are implicitly blaming God for the state of your life if you blame your spouse for the state of your, your life. Because marriage, what's it all about? What God has put together, let no one separate. We forget that marriage is not just two human beings who decide to come together. It's God declaring that these two human beings will come together. It's God who puts his blessing on it and makes it holy matrimony. And from that day forward, blame God. Blame your spouse, blame God. It's that woman you gave me. And then God says, Eve, what did you do? And she goes, it's that lying devil. See the strategy? Blame others, blame the devil. Blame others, blame God, blame the devil. No personal accountability. Never, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Someone else is always responsible for my current state. Someone else is always the reason for my inability to get any further than where I am in life. Someone else is always at fault. And that's why you can't break through to the next level in your life because you're so busy playing the blame game that you've disqualified yourself from all of the promises of Scripture because they're to the blameless. <laughs> There's another passage about Abraham we find in Romans chapter 4, starting at verse 18 where it speaks about his faith, and it says, who contrary to hope, in hope believed. Another translation says, Abraham against all hope, in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. It focuses on the fact that he had faith when there was no reason for faith, when he had hope where there was no reason for hope, against hope he was able to in hope believe, and that's how he became the father of many nations. But then in verse 19 it explains... And it says, he did not consider the deadness of his womb. I'm sorry, he did not consider the deadness of his own body since he was about 100 years old, nor of the deadness of Sarah's womb. What does that mean? This is how he walked in faith. First, he didn't blame himself. He didn't walk in personal blame. 
That's because my body's just too broke down. That's why I can't conceive and have a child. And secondly, he didn't blame Sarah. He didn't focus his mind on God. If you hadn't have given me this dead wombed woman, maybe the promise would have already been fulfilled. Obviously, the problem's not me. You see, I had a baby with Hagar just fine. He wasn't thinking about that. He refused to blame himself, which is shame, or to blame Sarah, which is judgment, accusation. But instead, the scripture says, he did not waver in unbelief concerning the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith, giving glory to God, believing that God was able to do what he had promised. In other words, he said, yes, my body is almost dead, and yes, Sarah's womb is dead, but God is still able. So I'm not going to focus on blaming, I'm going to focus on believing that God is bigger than what happened to me, and God is bigger than what people did to me, and God is bigger than what people said about me. God is bigger than the roadblocks in my face. God is bigger than the hindrances before me. God is bigger. He's bigger than the injustices that have befallen me. He's bigger than the people who have lied on me. He's bigger. He's able to bring it to pass. Come on, somebody. I want to talk to you married couples for a second. Especially you married couples with young children. First of all, I'm going to talk to you young wives with young children. Do you realize that if you are constantly criticizing your husband, you are teaching your child that your husband cannot be trusted? That if you are constantly criticizing your husband, number one, underneath that critical spirit is a presupposition that life would be so much better if he would just get his act together. That if you blame him in your heart for your current situation, you're going to criticize him with your mouth. And that flow of criticism that comes out of your mouth is going to teach your child that he cannot be trusted. Then your child will grow up not just a little bit, having a little distrust toward dad, and you will take that as proof that you were right about him being worthless. Not realizing that you taught your child how to distrust their father. And guess who gets hurt the most is that child. You can say amen because it's the truth. I'm not done. Husbands, if you are so afraid of the criticism of your wife that you avoid her presence, you will teach your child that mom is not very important and your child will grow up subtly disrespecting mom. Not resp- You wonder why your child's not very obedient to mom, not very respectful for, to mom, not realizing that you taught your child how to disrespect mommy. You can say amen to that too, because that is also the truth. And it is a, it is a truth that the Lord keeps hitting me with. I'm still learning that. <laughs> I got a mother who, my, my mother, you know, when your mom is a prophet, it's really hard. Because <laughs> she called me a few weeks ago. She's like, son, you got a little spirit of rebellion we got to deal with. And I was like, spirit of rebellion? <laughs> you know, the cool thing is when my mother speaks a word of encouragement to me, I can 100% believe it. 
It's because she don't lie. She, if she said something good, it's true. You know what I mean? Because she will say the opposite too. She just keeps she just keeps it real. She just tells it like it is. But she says, "Son, we got a little bit of a spirit of rebellion that we got to deal with in you." And I said, "Well, wh- what what do you see? What do you feel?" She said, "You've got this rebellion towards your wife." I said, "What do you mean?" She said, "When your wife asks you for things, you hesitate, procrastinate, and put it off." And deep inside, that comes from this place in your life, in your heart, that says, I'll do it when I'm good and ready. You're not my boss. You're not my mama. She said, son, that's the spirit of rebellion. We're going to have to deal with that. I said, I better go pray about that. <laughs> so I'm saying this as one who's still getting right. I'm going I'm to be at the altar praying at the end of this message, husbands. And really all that is, is a form of the blame game. The blame game. If it wasn't for that wife he gave me, if it wasn't for that husband he gave me, and it's unprofitable. And it's a tool of Satan. And I'm not just aiming at this at one person or two. If you, if, if you identify with this, please don't be offended because I'm talking to me too. The blame game. Nothing so unprofitable. And what you cannot do when you're walking in blame is believe. You can't believe and blame at the same time. Because if you think that that thing you see in your wife, your husband, whatever your mama did or your daddy did or your brother or your sister or your teacher, whatever they did, if you, if you focus on that thing as the reason for why you are where you are and can't get ahead, you are implicitly believing that that thing is bigger than God. That no matter what God does, He can't overcome that thing. He can't overwhelm that thing. The Scripture says, without being weak in His faith, He faced the fact that His body was as good as dead. That's what the NIV says. Without weakening in His faith, He faced the fact, but then He did not stagger in unbelief concerning the promise of God. In other words, he was able to look at the reality, but then believe that there was a greater reality, and that reality was the presence of God and the power of God and the love of God and the purpose of God. You want to be blameless? Let go of blame. Stop blaming. And the Bible has a word for releasing blame. It's called forgiveness. That's what forgiveness is. I renounce my right to blame. It is what it is. The opposite of that is the thought, well, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. She's the one with the debt. Not my fault. He's the one who made the bad financial decisions. It's not my fault, which is a false sense of blamelessness. It's a false sense of blamelessness because I think I'm not to blame. You are to blame, which is actually blamefulness. The point is not stop blaming others and take the blame yourself. That's just another form of blamefulness. The point is to let it go altogether. And to believe 
that God is bigger. So, you know the story of this guy, Joseph. Abraham has Isaac through Sarah. Isaac has Jacob and uh, through Rebekah. Jacob has 12 sons through a bunch of women. Ghetto, no. <laughs> um, he had five baby mamas, but um, second to youngest son, Joseph, was born to him in his old age, and so he loved Joseph more. Jacob actually wasn't a very good father, at least not to the older ten sons. Real good father to, J to Joseph. Terrible father to the older ten. And so what he does for Joseph is he wants everybody to know that he loves Joseph more than his other sons. So he makes Joseph this coat of many colors and he clothes them in it in front of his brothers. And now his brothers hate him. I mean, they just despise him. To the point where they, they could even kill him. And when it actually goes down, one of the older brothers had to restrain some of the younger brothers from killing him. So when they beat him and threw him in the pit, it was because Reuben convinced them not to kill him. And Reuben came up with the idea of let's sell him to these Ishmaelite slave traders who then took him to Egypt and sold him to Pharaoh, I mean to Potiphar, Pharaoh's executioner. And then he's doing, so he does good for his dad and his brothers beat him and try to kill him. And then they sell him. And then he becomes a slave of Potiphar. He does real good for Potiphar. Potiphar's wife lies on him and says he tried to rape her. Now he's thrown in prison. He does real good in the prison. And he becomes, basically they put him in charge of the whole prison. And he does good there. And then the butler and the baker, you know the story. And they forget him and leave him there another seven years. So he keeps doing good and then bad stuff happens. That ever happened to you? Keeps doing good, and then bad stuff happens. And what does he do? He keeps doing good. And guess what happens? More bad stuff happens. So what does he do? Keeps doing good, and more bad stuff happens. And what does he do? Just keeps doing good, and more bad stuff happens. I don't know how long I could have survived that. Because most of us, you know, if we do good for 45 minutes and something good doesn't happen, we're like, I knew this stuff doesn't work. Whenever I talk to a husband about loving their wife, they're like, I tried that. <laughs> you tried that? Like you're finished? <laughs> I tried it for a whole week. Didn't work. So what'd you do? I just started cussing her out again. Joseph could have given up in his heart at any moment. Because for 17 years, he did good stuff and bad stuff happened. And then he did more good stuff and bad stuff happened. And he did more good stuff and bad stuff happened. But Joseph refused to play the blame game. It was as though Joseph had made a decision in his heart. I'm going to do right. I'm going to do good. I'm going to believe. And I'm going to do it for the rest of my life if necessary. And if nothing good happens, at least I won't be able to look back on my life and say, I quit. And when something finally good happens, he's brought into Pharaoh's court. He interprets Pharaoh's dream. Pharaoh makes him the prime minister of all of Egypt. He builds the granaries and stores them with grain in preparation for the years of famine. 
Then the famine hits. And in the first couple years of the famine, who shows up but all his brothers? And Joseph at first plays the blame game. Now he's playing all these games with his brothers because they don't recognize him. Locks one of them up, hides a gold cup in their bag of grain, and then you know, inspects them, sends the police after them, after planting the evidence. Throws one of them in jail. Says, go back and get your younger brother. All of this nonsense. Why? Because he was so bitter in his heart. Because what blame begets is bitterness. bitterness. Blame begets bitterness. Blame, when you just host that blame in your heart. See, some of you have a community group in your own heart, and you got blame and bitterness and resentment and anger, and you're in there having fellowship, you're having nightly community group meetings with blame and bitterness and anger and resentment, and it's just poisoning you to the bone. And what happens when you have fellowship with those things in your heart is you start concocting all of these plans of what you can do to get back at the people who have hurt you. And it all breaks through when Joseph sees his brother, his younger brother, Benjamin. When Benjamin shows up, all of Joseph's bitterness breaks like a balloon. It bursts because he's overwhelmed with love for his younger brother. Everything shifted in that moment because Joseph made a decision. I've played the blame game long enough. Now I'm going to let him go. Now I'm going to release him. Now I'm going to forgive him. And what happens? Reconciliation. They're weeping on each other's necks. He reveals himself to his brothers and they're wailing and they're crying and they're hugging one another and they're reconciling with one another. Nobody's even saying, I'm sorry. Notice it's kind of awkward because the brothers, you know, hey, sorry about, uh, you know, all that slavery stuff. (laughs) My bad, dog, my bad. There's some pain that is so deep that it can't even be atoned for with an I'm sorry. It almost has to remain unspoken. And it's not till their father dies that the brothers actually broach the subject and they come bow before him and they say, before our father died, He told us to beg you to please forgive us for what we did to you. They were scared to death that now that dad was gone, he was going to pay them back. That he had been waiting all of these years to release his vengeance on them. But he doesn't. You know what he says? Don't be afraid. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. This is the point we've been coming to all morning. Blame clouds your heart, clouds your mind, clouds your vision, clouds your understanding so that you cannot see how your tribulation is working for you. 
Paul says that our light and momentary afflictions are working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. But you can't see that because your mind is clouded by blame. But if you get that blame out of the way, all of a sudden you can see tribulation working for you. You can look back and say, yes, that was painful, but here's what that pain built in me. Yes, that was terrible, but here's what that terrible situation forged in me. Yes, that was difficult. Yes, that was a hardship. Yes, I had to walk through some stuff, but let me tell you something. I would not be the man that I am had I not walked through the things that I walked through, and so I would not trade it for all of the gold and the silver in the world. Marriage is painful. Nobody hurts you worse than your spouse. Those of you single who are dreaming about getting married, guess what? You're signing up for a lifetime of pain and sorrow and suffering. Tell the truth. That's not what they told us when I was young. They said it was a lifetime of bliss. Ain't doing nothing but lying. (laughs) But if I could tell you of all of the sorrow and suffering and pain that I've experienced at the hands of my wife, I think all of the books in the world would not be enough to contain that story. But I could say honestly before the Lord that without all that pain, I never would have matured. I would not be the man that I am today had I not gone through what I went through. And she would have an even bigger story to tell about the pain that she's experienced from me. But both of us have acknowledged again and again and again that God has forged us because all pain is, all conflict in marriage is, is maturity trying to happen. And the only thing that determines whether maturity will happen through that pain is if you are able to get over the blame and simply walk through the storm. Why does every storm have to have somebody? Why do you have to have somebody to blame for every storm? It's like, for some reason, that's human nature. We just walk into a storm. We're like, whose fault is this? (laughs) What are you meditating on? I'm trying to figure out who to blame for this. (laughs) We just got to blame somebody for everything, don't we? This is your fault, isn't it? (laughs) If we could just let that go. Say, you know what, Lord? I want to be blameless. Mark the blameless man. Observe the upright. For the future of that man is peace. Let me tell you something. The quicker you release blame, the quicker you return to your place of peace. And some of us think we have no peace in life because of what somebody did to us. No, you'll have peace as soon as you let that go. I don't know about you, but I want to be blameless. I want to be blameless. It doesn't mean that I deny reality. It simply means that I embrace that I may not be at fault for what has happened to me, but I'm still responsible. I got rear-ended on Thursday on the freeway in my new Tesla. 
plowed right into the back of me. I looked in the rearview mirror and I saw this brother is too close, man. He's too close. And I thought, I got to get out of this lane. But that quick, the traffic in front of me stopped and I stopped right before the bumper and I, I tried to give it as much room as I possibly could. And I stopped right before the bumper of the car in front of me. Bam! Plowed right into the back of me. Probably 15, they said it was at least $15,000 worth of damage to my vehicle. And my vehicle was permanently devalued because it bent the frame. And the first thought I had was, it's his fault. I hope he knows whose fault this is. <laughs> but the next thought I had was, I hope he's all right. And I got out of my car and looked at his car, and the damage to my car is nothing compared to the damage to his. I mean, the front of his car hit my car and rolled up like a scroll. <laughs> his car is finished. Those Teslas are built like tanks. His car rolled up like a Coke can. And he just looked so distraught. And the poor guy was 21 years old, just trying to get to work. He was late anxious about it, just moved here from North Carolina, working for a nonprofit in Oakland, California, in the inner city. I felt so bad for the guy. You know what happened? Blame just went right out the window. Because I had this thought, this is going to work out fine for me. I sure hope this kid's going to be all right. I got to sit there on the side of the freeway and minister to this kid for about 15, 20 minutes. What if God actually was calling you to minister to the people that you have, have historically blamed? Even for the stuff that was their fault. You know what that would probably look like? Husbands and wives, we would minister to each other every night. We would end the night just ministering to one another. Wouldn't that be awesome? That'd be a good marriage, right? Just every night, you're just, you're just so excellent. <laughs> I'm just so proud to be your spouse. <laughs> look at God. <laughs> what you do, you just keep doing what you're doing. You're just amazing. I'm just so thankful for you. <laughs> Wouldn't that be just, man, that would just be. You know what? We can have that. It's just a decision. It's just a decision. And you know what the most powerful part is? It only takes one to make that decision. It only takes one. So, well, I, if I did that, my wife would never do that to me. And then you would blame her for it, and then you'd quit. Like Joseph, right? It only takes one. You know what? You do good and something bad happens, you release blame and then do good again. You speak lovingly to your wife, and she snaps back at you. You know what you do? Immediately release blame and speak lovingly to her again. And resolve in your heart. 
I'm not even going to think I've been doing this for this long and she hasn't responded until I've done it for 17 years like Joseph did. Because imagine being Joseph and doing good for 17 years and nothing good happens to you for 17 years. You're still a slave and a prisoner after 17 years of doing good. You know what you do? You wake up in the morning and you do good again. And you don't let that build up of blame, that blame build up. It's like tartar on your teeth. Just builds up. It's like... uh, that plaque that builds up in your arteries just builds up. Just make a decision. No more. No more. I'm not playing the blame game anymore. Letting it go. This is the word of the Lord to you today. God is inviting you into a new place of peace. Mark the blameless man. The future of that man is peace. That is the word of the Lord to you today. That is the promise of God to you today. Mark the blameless man. The future of that man is peace. If you want your future to be peace, then you let go of blame today. Bow your heads and let's pray. Jasmine, if you would come back to the piano. Father, I thank you today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you're speaking to us and we hear you loud and clear. We hear you loud and clear. Father, today I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would empower your sons and daughters today to step right over that spirit of blame. Lord, none of us want to be blamed, but most of us still want to give blame. None of us want to be blamed, but it's so easy for us to assign blame. Father, today, We make a decision. We choose blamelessness. We choose blamelessness. We choose blamelessness. We choose blamelessness. Lord, we want to be blameless. That's what we're going to pursue. That's what we're going to pursue is blamelessness. That's what I'm going to pursue. That's going to be my pursuit from now on, God, is blamelessness. A blameless heart. A blameless mind. That it might be said of me, he was blameless in his generation. He was blameless in his generation. I want that to be said to me. God, I know I got work to do. I know I need to be at this altar just as much as the next person. But God, I'm asking you to help us today, each and every one of us, as your sons and daughters. We are asking you to help us today. We are opening our hearts to you today. Because some of us have been hurt so deep and the pain is so thick that we don't know how to let it go. Some of us have been cut to the core. The very fiber of our existence has been punctured. We don't know how to let go of the blame and it's seeping into our blood and it's poisoning us and that bacterial infection of blame is starting to spread through our system. But Father, today, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are able to release a chemotherapy of the Spirit to kill every cancer cell of blame that is spread through our mind and spread through our heart. It's metastasized in our soul. But God, today, you're able to put it to death. You're able to put it to death because... You've destined us for peace. You've destined us for peace. You've called us to peace. You've called us to peace. Not anxiousness. You've called us to peace. You've called us to peace. Not bitterness. Not bitterness. Not bitterness. Not unforgiveness. Not unforgiveness. But to peace. And that peace comes by releasing the blame. 
letting it go. Just let it get washed away. Like you just got baptized afresh and anew. There's a new baptism in the Holy Spirit today. God wants to dunk you under the waters of forgiveness and all of your blame just gets washed away. Lord, wash it away, God. Wash it away from my heart. Wash it away from my soul, God. It's not profitable, but God, we cling to it because it feels so good. Even though we don't acknowledge that it feels good, it does feel good. It makes me feel powerful. It makes me feel strong. Without it, I feel so small. But God, if you would wash away that blame from my heart and replace it with faith, the faith to believe that whatever the enemy meant for evil, you meant for good. That whatever damage has been done by the evil one, you are able to redeem us in our weaknesses. And God, that's your promise this year, that you will redeem our weaknesses, God. And so, some, Lord, do we come to you today saying, this is a weakness I need you to redeem in me. Lord, I don't want to blame my wife anymore. Sometimes I'm blaming her and I don't even know I'm blaming her. But I find myself resisting her presence. I find myself avoiding her presence. I find myself being irritated by her calling my name. Because I know she's going to ask for something. She's going to put me to work. And I'm tired of being put to work. But God, I pray that you would release that blame from my heart. Lord, that I would respond joyfully to her voice. Put me to work. Put me to work. I'm your husband. I'm your protector. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus that you do something in our hearts today, God. That you do something in our hearts today, God. That you would break us free, God. That you would set us free. That you would open the gates of bronze. That you would cut the bars of iron, God, that holds us in this prison of blame, in this prison of unforgiveness, and in this prison of fear. Set us free today by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I thank you, God. I see the Holy Spirit just moving over this auditorium today, moving over this congregation today. I see the truth settling into hearts today. I see freedom breaking forth in faces today. I see the truth touching hearts today, God. I thank you that there's freedom in the house of the Lord, that your word is going forth and it's it, you send your word to heal us and to set us free from all of our distresses. And so right now, just say this in Jesus' name. Say it in Jesus' name. I release all blame in Jesus' name. I renounce all blame in Jesus' name. I receive faith. I receive forgiveness. I receive love. I believe that what the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good. God is greater than what happened to me. God is greater than what was said about me. God is greater than what was done to me. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Now rise up to your feet right now and give God a shout of praise in this place. Come on, just believe it, believe it, believe it, believe it. Declare it, declare it. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Those whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Hallelujah. Listen to me. God sent this word to you today ahead of your breakthrough. He's got such a breakthrough for you, but he saw that this thing would hinder you from walking through the door. There's going to be testimonies that come out of this today. You watch. Testimonies are coming out of today. You watch. I let that blame go and the Lord opened a door. I let that blame go and the Lord opened a door. 
The Lord opened the door. I can't wait to hear those testimonies of what God does in our lives through this. Father, I speak your blessing over your people today. Those who are near and those who are far, those who are online and those who are here, I speak blessing and encouragement in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen. This altar is open for anyone who needs prayer. The worship team is going to just sing this song. All my life you have been faithful. Some of you might want to linger a little bit. Others of you, you got it. You want a fellowship in the fellowship hall. We're going to start the info meeting for community group hosts right at 1230. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. May the joy of the Lord be your strength. Amen. Give him a shout of praise one more time. And I will sing.